maybe there's no greater transformation in all the Bible than the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I and mean, we're going to get into this passage. It amazes me. I was talking to Gina just last night. It amazes me that the Apostle Paul even wrote this passage. Because if you went into his early life, he wouldn't have even understood what he was writing about. But he was changed by God, and he is a 100% perfect witness for us today. He says that there was, a true, there was a time where Paul didn't even understand this passage. Before Paul was changed on the Damascus Road, if anyone could have earned his way to heaven, if anybody could have bragged, if anybody could have boasted in his own flesh, if anybody could have said, man, you know what, I can get to heaven without God, it would have been Paul. Paul has said, if anyone could have earned his way, he said, I was a Pharisee, I was a religious elite, I was a keeper of the law. I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a hero for killing Christians. I was educated. I had a great reputation. I was respected. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And that was all before I met Christ. Guys, I want you to understand who Paul really was. Paul had a really good life before he met Jesus. Paul, man, he was a guy that had it made. He had all the money that he probably needed. He had a great reputation. He had all the people that were cheering him on. But Paul was a man that had every reason to glorify in himself. He was a man that had every reason to say that I am the man. I am the one that's reputation. I got it all. But Paul now sits in a Roman prison. Guys, I'm amazed by the power of God that God can change a man this much that God can change a man who was once glorified for killing Christians, and now the moment that he is writing this in a prison along with other Christians that he was once killing. That is an amazing transformation, guys, that he was once glorified for killing Christians. But now he sits in a prison, beaten. He's been shipwrecked. And he is hated by the ones that he once called brothers. Now Paul is writing a warning to the Philippians and to us. He says, guys, there was a time, I'm telling you right now, to rejoice in the Lord because there was a time where I rejoiced in only myself. Guys, I'm telling you to be aware of the dogs because I was once a dog. Guys, I'm wanting you to be aware of the circumcision because I once thought that my actions were going to get me to heaven. And I'm telling you as a witness today that if anybody can't get to heaven but by the way of the cross, it's me. If Jesus didn't save me, all the things that I did, all the things that I had done on this world, all the things that I thought were for my righteousness were nothing but dung in the eyes of God. And I believe that we have a special message today for somebody that is in that same boat as him, that they must understand that there's nothing so good that they can do to ever receive heaven, but it is only by the way of the cross. Never quit, he says, never quit rejoicing God. Guard yourselves against false teachings and put all confidence in Christ. And of a man once caught up in false religion, he was a man who once rejoiced himself, and he was a man that was a false teacher, and he was a man that only had confidence in himself. So one, guys, look in this. It says, always rejoice. Guard yourself. Thank you, brother. And always rejoice. Verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, 
Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. First of all, he says, guys, we must always rejoice. Be cheerful, be glad, have joy in the Lord. Why do we so often stop rejoicing? Why do we so often stop rejoicing? You know why we stop rejoicing? It's because we forget where we truly were before Christ. We forget. I talked to the kids just this week. Lord, I, I was talking to the kids just this Wednesday about going back to Bethel. Guys, do you remember the time where you first got saved? Do you remember the moment where you were? Do you remember the moment where Jesus saved you? Do you remember the moment where, man, you were nothing, you realized you were nothing but a wretch, you were nothing but a sinner, and Lord came into your heart and saved your soul? I think the reason why Christians don't rejoice anymore is because they have forgotten Bethel. They have forgotten where they came from, and they have forgotten where God has taken them from. Life sometimes don't go right. Stress happens. Sickness happens. We feel like the blessings are gone. But Paul is in prison awaiting death, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord. He says, Let Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a man that never once believed this before, but the moment that he met Jesus, he said, I don't even live for myself anymore. Paul's life was easier before Jesus. Why would he still rejoice? He had everything that he possibly needed, but now he says that I would rather die for Christ than to go back to that old man that I was. Once he met Jesus, he realized something, guys. And it's something that we must realize this morning. Once we know Jesus, we realize something that is so special. We live in a world that thinks it's all about them. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we fall into this false religion where we think it's all about us. It's all about how much I have. It's all about how much what I need. It's all about me. Let me tell you something. When you truly come to the way of the cross and you truly know that you're a sinner, you truly understand that the only way through salvation is by Jesus, you realize you don't deserve a thing. Paul understood that he did not deserve a thing. He didn't deserve to live. But yet, but yet... Why would he still rejoice? Because once he met Jesus, he realized he didn't deserve anything. He said, I was a wretch. I was the chief of sinners. But so many times we don't praise because we believe it is God who owes us. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe you anything. There's a lot of false religion today, man, and there might be thousands of people following it that people are understanding, man, it is all about what God can do for us. Let me tell you something. God doesn't owe us anything because I'm a sinner. Guys, I want you to think how many times, I want you to go back to that moment that you were saved, wherever you were, wherever you were, the moment that God saved you, go back to your Bethel right now. I want you to close your eyes for just a second and you picture where you were. You picture that moment where God called you by name. You picture that moment in your head, man, where you didn't have nothing to offer, but you were coming to God saying, Lord, save me, help me, pick me up, Lord, I trust only you at this moment. 
And you remember that moment of how it felt when you trusted him by faith and that joy that came into your heart, that moment where you said, I'll go and I'll be and I'll say. But then I want you to open your eyes and say, how much have I done of what I told God I would do? How many times do we make an oath to our Lord in that moment, but we didn't live up to the oath that we told him we would do? Guys, I want you to understand how good God is because though you didn't make the oath and you didn't keep your oath, we serve a God who did. We serve a God who kept it where we couldn't keep it. We serve a God that, man, when I said, Lord, I'll go and I'll be, but I was off in the weeds living as I wanted to live, God was still faithful, amen? God was still working. God was still pulling. And though where I didn't keep my oath, my Jesus kept his oath to me. That's who God is, and that's who we serve. But so many times we don't praise because we believe it is God who owes us. But Paul would say to us today, we don't deserve a thing. The fact that I get to glorify God through the suffering joys me. Because compared to God, look at who we are. God, so many times we start to think so much of ourselves. Paul was a witness that, man, if anybody could think a lot of himself, it was him. I think I, Paul had it, man. He could have stuck out his chest as much as anybody. But now we find him in a prison saying, I have nothing to give God. I am just a sinner saved by grace. Compared to God, he says, look at me. Because, guys, there was a moment where I thought that I was something. There was a moment where I thought all the people and all the praise would last, and it was all about me. I remember the day that Stephen was sitting there in front of me, and I was watching him get stoned. And I remember his voice, and he said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And I remember, man, I thought, what a crazy fool this was. But I'm telling you, it wasn't long, my friends, till I was going to Damascus to do the work of the devil. But the Lord and Savior in which I was killing spoke to me and changed my life. He come into my heart, he came into my life, and he awoke in my eyes. He helped my deaf ears to hear, and he helped my blind eyes to see that there was so much more, and the same Lord that I was killing is the same Lord that I now serve today. Compared to God in that moment, he said, I thought that I was good. All my buddies told me that I was good. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was part of the tribe of Benjamin. I had been circumcised. I had done everything that I was supposed to do. And to be honest, I was probably voted most likely to succeed. And that was definitely going to have a special place for me in heaven. And then I met Jesus. And all of my righteousness turned to filth and right in front of me because I thought that I was righteous until I met the one who was the true righteousness, the one who was perfect, the one who was holy, the one who made me, the one who made the world. And I thought that I was good until he spoke to me and I realized that all the righteousness that I thought that I was making in my life were nothing but filthy rags. And guys, I want us to understand that Paul, as he sits in prison, I believe that he thanks of Stephen. 
I believe that he thinks of his past. He thinks of the things that he went from. He thinks of the places where God has taken him. And it just builds and builds in him how much God loves him. Guys, look in all the places that we've been in our life. There's people in this room that have went places and done things that if the public knew, you'd be absolutely ashamed of. But yet we always put our chest out like we're somebody. There ain't nobody in this room that's worth a hill of beans, including me. Now I know that's not prosperity gospel because we're supposed to be told how good we are. The Bible says none are righteous, no, not one. And there is not one person here that deserves the love of God. There's not one person here that deserves the cross. There's not one person here that deserves it, but yet God did it. Yet God always gave more. And guys, Paul understood that. I am nothing but filthy rags, but yet he died for me. Yet I still have his presence. Yet I still have his gospel. Yet I still have salvation. Yet I still have hope. How often we don't hold up our end, but thank Jesus, thank him that he does. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because I'm telling you guys, if it was up to me and it was with my power and if it was with your strength, there is no way you would hit heaven. There's no way. Because the moment that I think that I'm walking in righteousness, the very next I'm ascending again. And if Jesus can't save me, there ain't nobody that can save me. Because we are not good enough. And Paul is a perfect witness again that if there was a man that was good enough, it would have been Paul. And he's begging us and he is pleading us, don't get caught up in that. Own the joy we lose when we stop rejoicing our Savior. Focus on what God has done. Focus on where he's brought you from. Two, he says, guard against false teachings. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. The people that Paul was talking about here were the Judaizers. They were people that mixed grace and works. They were the people that wanted to add something to their salvation. Guys, also people who claimed Jesus but lived immoral, a sinful lifestyle, and they mixed grace. Guys, I don't know about you, but we're not living in a world much different than the one Paul lived in. We're living in a time where we must guard ourselves against false religion and false teachers. There's a lot of folks today that can tell you, yes, you can have Jesus, but yes, you must work for it as well. That's a false teaching. But there's also a lot of people that I believe this has crept into our churches. It's crept in more than anything. I can have Jesus, but I can live like the devil as well. And that his grace is going to let me live any which way I want. He's going to forgive me no matter what. So therefore, I don't have to change my life. There has to be no difference. There's no change. There's no nothing. That's a false teaching. And my friend, we must guard ourselves from that. Paul is the perfect testimony of a man who has changed. And the moment that a lost sinner comes to Jesus, knowing that they're lost, knowing that he's the only one that can save them, the last thing that that person should want to do is take advantage of the grace that God has given them and pull them out of the muck and pull them out of the miry. And that's the last thing that we should want to do. 
But yet, you see so many times that people say, I walked the aisle, I did the thing, I did what I needed to do. And they live in the same filth and they never change. Guys, there is a change that is made in us the moment that we're saved. And I can't tell you how many people I have baptized. I can't tell you how many I've baptized. Buried in His likeness, raised to walk in a newness of life, and we never see them again. And you can't tell me that there's not a false religion that we must guard ourselves from. Because I know when Jesus saved me, He changed me. Now, I'm not saying that I was perfect because I ain't perfect, but I'm telling you there's something that changed, and I started to like the things of God. And if you have people in your life that say, I claim Jesus, but yet they hate the things of the Lord, you better avoid those kind of folks. But the Judaizers, he was warning against them. But guys, the man who thinks he has done enough work to be saved doesn't rejoice in the Lord, he rejoices only in himself. But the man who thinks he can live like the devil and still have Jesus hasn't made him Lord and therefore rejoices a Lord of his own imagination. I believe that we have made God into our own imagination. We've made the God of the Bible to fit our life. And we've made him to fit into our society. But guys, we must understand the same God who led Moses out of, the, out of Egypt, the same God that took Joshua into the promised land, the same God who slammed the giant, the same God who helped Daniel, the same God who helped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the same God that saved Paul and changed him is the same God that helps and changes us. Amen. He is the same God and he is the same Lord. And we must understand that we've given our life to the God of the Bible, not to the God of our own imagination. But Paul understood that all of the religion that he had wouldn't get him a second in heaven. And when Paul met Jesus, he saw true righteousness and he was shown the light of his own unrighteousness resulting in a gift of salvation that changed his life. Guys, when we got saved, I mean, oh, oh, the conviction that fell on our hearts. The oppression when you realized if I died, I I was going to hell. But what was worse is when I realized that I was a sinner and that I wasn't good and I wasn't who, like I said, who mama said that I was. I was who God told me that I was. And and put yourself in the picture of Paul in his shoes. He was walking his way. He was doing his thing. And he thought that he was doing the work of the Lord and the whole time he was doing the work of Satan. But then he's seen God. God revealed himself to him. And he blinded him. And he said, Paul, why do you persecute me? And in that moment, we see a result that only God can do. How can a man go from killing Christians to dying with Christians? How can a man go from being so full of his self to saying that it has nothing to do with me and it only has to do with Christ. 
How can a man go from living his way to living only Jesus' way? Jesus is the one that does that. And I think so many times we've made Jesus into somebody that has no power. We think that he has power to save us, but he doesn't have power to sanctify us. He does. And when you truly come to the saving faith and you understand that you've placed all your faith in Him, that He is your one and He is your only, He is the only chance that you got. And you realize that, man, if everything that I'd ever done was put in public, imagine right here, right now, if we went through every single person, because we think we're something I'm going to put your stuff out and your stuff out. And all of a sudden, in just a moment, we're going to put your entire life up on the video screen. And we're going to get to see who you are behind closed doors. We're going to get to see how patient you really are. You're going to, we're going to get to see how much we pray. We're going to get to see how what you really say. We're going to get to see when nobody's looking and nobody's watching. We're going to get to put it up on the screen. And can you imagine that being you with the whole world watching your true life? Every one of us would melt in our seats. We would run out of here and you would never see any of us again. That's how much righteousness I have to give God. None. None. And I think so many times we want to treat our righteousness of what we do at church. God, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm being what I need to be. I've been baptized. I I come to church. I come to Sunday school. I've done everything. That's my righteousness. No. Who is that inner person, the person, your soul, the person that you truly are? I'm going to tell you something. Brandon Patton is a wretch. Brandon Patton is a sinner. And Brandon Patton has no righteousness of his own. I am an absolute mess. But yet God loves me. But yet God saved me. But yet I can be righteous through him. And that he still care for me. And guys, I want you to understand in that moment, Paul had done all these things. And then he sat at the feet of the Savior. He's about to blast me. He's about to kill me. He's about to get rid of me. That's what I deserve. Look what all I've done. I've persecuted his church. But God says, no, son, I'm going to use you. I'm going to change the world through you. Woo, what? You mean you're giving me a second chance? Oh, yes, son, because I'm going to use you where nobody else could. What Satan meant for bad, I mean for good. And I'm going to do something with you that only I can do with you. Which resulted in the heart in which Paul now has. Now, guys, I want you to understand that our hearts should be the same for God. And the only way that our hearts can be that way for the Lord is if we realize who we truly are. And then God is really, really good. It always dumbfounds me when I tell people about it. I ask people about their testimony or something, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I got saved, and I did this, and I did that. And they don't get excited. It's like, are you not, like, fired up for what God did for you? 
And I want to ask that person, do you understand what God did for you? Do you understand that you have no hope other than the hope of Jesus? Do you understand that there's no hope for heaven other than Jesus? Do you understand that there's no reason for your life other than Jesus? And that Jesus did it all and he made a way where there was no way. Guys, I want you to understand that the Bible is clear. And there is a lot of false religion. There is a lot of false things going on. There is a lot of false. And if you don't get nothing else out of this, I want you to get this. The Bible is clear when it comes to salvation. Now, we can argue about everything under the sun. We can argue about who's supposed to be doing this and who's supposed to be doing that. We can argue about this. We can argue about that. But there is one thing that we have got to get right. And that is that Jesus is the only way. That the Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one come to the Father but by him. That there is no way to earn it. Only through the free gift of salvation that Jesus gives. And then, my friend, that you may work your way to, you think you may work your way to heaven, you can do everything, you can, you can, you can, you can drive your elbows to the bone and your hands to the bone for Jesus. But yet, if your heart is not circumcised, if your heart is not cut for Jesus, it don't mean a thing. And that's what he was talking about, these Judaizers. They were mutilating themselves. And, he, and they were saying, look what we're doing for God. And he says, all you've done is mutilate yourself. God don't care about all this outward stuff. He cares about the heart. And the heart will then, therefore, propel the man in what God wants from us. But the heart must be right. The heart must be sold out. The heart must understand that we need Jesus and Jesus only. Guys, I'm going to go through this and I'm going to finish. We're done early today. During vacation Bible school, I, I, I talked to the kids. And I want you guys to understand that even in this room here today, I think sometimes we, we overcomplicate things. But what does it mean... And why do I need to be saved? What does it mean to be lost? We talk to these kids all the time, and we, we go through vacation Bible school with them, and we go through admit, believe, and confess. And we talk about the ABCs of becoming a Christian. If you admit that you're a sinner, if you believe that Jesus is the Lord, and you commit yourself to Him, He'll save you. Amen. But why? Why do we go through the ABCs? Why do we tell people that they need to be saved? Why? Because they're lost. And guys, I want us to understand what being lost is. What being lost is, is unable to find one's way. And I think in this room today that there's somebody in here that can't find their way. You're going every which way but the right way. You're trying this, you're trying that, but you're unable to find it. Guys, there was a time in my life where I shared this at Vacation Bible School that I knew what it meant to be lost. I was going to the zoo, and my mom, my granddad, and my grandma was going to take us to the zoo that day. 
And I was seven, eight years old, and we were all in the back of a car that was about 20 foot long. All four grandkids in the back seat. And we were crammed in there. I think three had a seat belt. One, I hope, knew Jesus. And we were going to go to the zoo. And we left out early that morning, and we were going to go, and we were going to have a good time. We were going to get there when it opened. And we took out of the off of Cedar Grove Road, and here we go. Back then, there was no GPS. Back then, you know, you, you couldn't just put it in your phone. I mean, you either knew the way or you didn't, or you had a map. My granddad, as smart as he is and as intelligent he is, he wouldn't ask for directions. And he goes out of the house, and I know the way. I think I know it. Guys, it took us over eight hours to get to the zoo. I'm not kidding. Eight hours in the back of that car. We were on country roads that we shouldn't be on. We were in city streets that we shouldn't be on. I'm pretty sure we ended up in Kentucky at once. I don't know where we ended up. No joke, no lie. And it was getting frustrating. We were lost. We could not find our way. And my grandma, I kept remembering her. She said, Jim, stop and ask for directions. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And finally, we made it to the zoo. And it was almost about to close. I'm not kidding. And we got to, we, everything we did, we were like, oh, there's the lines. Oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, that was good. And we got through there, and that was it. But what I want you to understand is that she said, stop and ask for directions. And there are so many folks that are living a life of lostness. You say, well, Brendan, what does it mean to be lost? Guys, our body is made up of three parts, mind, body, and soul. And so many times we take care of our minds. We think education is important, all those things, and we don't argue it. Oh, we take care of our bodies. Oh, we should, we should exercise. We should do everything that we need to do. But the most important part of a man is what is inside. It is a soul. And so many times our souls are the one thing that we neglect. And we try to take care of everything else. But yet there is always a dissatisfaction. Yet there is always something that's missing. And Jesus is just begging us to ask the way. Will somebody ask the way? And let me tell you something, my friend. When we find ourselves lost because of sin, we've been separated from a Lord and a Savior because we're not good, but He is good. We're not holy, but He is holy. We're not righteous, but He is righteous. And there's no way to get to heaven because we're not good enough. And that's where God made a way. God says, I love you so much that I gave my son to die for you. And guys, we must understand the simplicity, but also how complex it is. Because so many times I think that we're like, that is too simple, that is too easy. And we would rather work ourselves to death thinking that that's the way when our hearts were never with Jesus in the first place. God don't care about all of this. He cares about your heart. And my friend today, if you find yourself lost, know that God made a way for you at Calvary. Know that the only way to get to heaven is by the way of the cross. 
And the Bible says that whosoever calls upon His name shall be saved. Now, if Paul needed salvation, you better bet us in Lebanon, Tennessee, in the year 2023, we need the Lord. And there's somebody here today that comes in here week after week after week after week. And you say, well, Brandon, I'm petrified and I'm scared. And I'm scared what people are going to think of me. I'm scared of what people are going to say. My friend, whoever you are, whether you are 80 years old, whether you're a child, whether you're mid-aged, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a teacher, I don't care what you are. I believe that God is still reaching into somebody's life. Say, follow me. And you say, Brandon, what do I do? The Bible says, come by faith. And just as you are sitting on a ledge, you are afraid and you are scared and you don't know what to do. And Lord, I, I just would rather stay up here on the ledge. I don't want to jump. And just as you were, imagine you were jumping into the lake off of a big cliff and you take that one step. And we call it a leap of faith. But you put that faith in a mighty Savior, trusting only Him to save you. He says, I promise that I'll save you. That it's all Him and it's nothing to do with me. I realized that one time, and I'm going to finish. We're still early. I remember that I would come in this place week when, whenever y'all would do events or there would be things uh, like the conference. Man, you could just feel the Holy Ghost in this place. And I remember sitting right up there against the wall when I came in. And I left out of here feeling such conviction in my heart. To be honest, I didn't know if I was saved. I was doubting my salvation. I was like, Lord, am I saved? And I went home and I talked to Travis. And I said, Travis, man, I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm teaching the youth at, at Cedar Grove. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm like, this is, I'm a nervous wreck. Because conviction was falling on my heart. And I realized in that moment, Travis said something. He said, Brandon, have you trusted only Jesus to save you? Only him. And I said, yeah, Travis, I've trusted only him to save me. What else can you do biblically? Besides trusting Jesus to save you. And I'm like, that's so simple. But it's so liberating. That it's Jesus or nothing. It's either he's going to save me or nothing will. And I'm placing all of my faith, all of my trust in him. And he says, I'll do the rest. He don't need me and he don't need you. He is enough. And that was a liberating moment. And I said, I knew that I was saved, but I never doubted it since. Never once have I doubted because it has nothing to do with Brandon. Aren't you happy that your salvation has nothing to do with you? It has all to do with Him. And where we are weak, He is strong. And guys, whoever God's calling today, I pray that if you're feeling conviction in your heart this morning, to not leave this place until you get it right. To not leave this place until you know for without a shadow of a doubt that if you died, you're going to go to heaven. And there's going to be people down here, right here in this moment. I want you to come and have enough faith and put it in a mighty Lord that I'm willing to go talk to somebody. 
And I don't, it don't matter where you're from. It don't matter where you are. It don't matter what people think. Get it right. We want revival to come to this place. Then we must get rid of our pride and say, Lord, start with me. And maybe you're somebody in here today. You know you're saved, but you have forgotten Bethel. You've gotten into the mix and the motions and you've been running, you've been doing, you've been saying, Lord, I'm serving and I'm doing all this, but God's somewhere outside. Maybe you need to go back to Bethel and think back to that moment that God saved you and get that new focus to say, Lord, pick me up, straighten me out and fill my heart with a new fire. Amen. We're going to pray. And after we pray that y'all come, they're going to come and they're going to lead us in invitation. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And after that, I want you to come if God's calling.